There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2019 Draft Review episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by MyBookie. Well, the draft is in the can, but we still have the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs. I mean, talk about unpredictability. I've never been much of a hockey fan. I'm a Blackhawks fan. I'm not a hockey fan. Just like I'm not a baseball fan, but I'm a Cubs fan. Nonetheless, NHL hockey has got to be the most exciting postseason there is. Both number one seeds go down in the first round. It's bananas. And if you want to get in on the action, my bookie is the place to go. Between their in-live game betting, uh, endless props, and fantasy sports wagers, there's something for everybody to get in on with the best player perks in the sportsbook business. They've been good to us, and I know that they'll be good to you. And they're hooking up all my listeners this month. Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code BEARS100 when creating your account to claim your 50% bonus. Laying down $100, now you've got $150 to play with. That's mybookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G, promo code BEARS100. Mybookie, you play, you win, you get paid. The show is also brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the ticket app. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket-buying experience. Instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show and rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. A green dot marks great deals. A yellow dot equals good deals. Red dots, stay away from those deals. Use promo code ACAA as in Armchair All-Americans at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's two free beers. I got to delete that from the copy because I, I don't drink beer. So that's two giant cotton candies or three of them, four hot dogs and, you know, nachos. And, you know, that's uh, one of those uh, baseball helmets with the Sunday in it. Go for that. That's just, that's, but it's on SeatGeek from the $20 that you're going to save. So what are you waiting for? That's promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And here we go with the 2019 draft review episode. Uh, we bring our good friend Scott Wright back to the show to talk to us about these draft picks. We didn't have a pick until late in day day two in the third round, but the Bears made some really cool picks, and we got Scott back to uh, to tell us about these guys, not only the guys we got with our top two picks, which I'm really excited about, but the other guys and the 21 undrafted free agents, lots to cover. And we even talk about our favorite sports movie, uh, related to the draft, which of course would be draft day. So, so without further ado, let's get to the show. It's the 2019 draft review. You know, I was just thinking to myself, I wonder why I haven't heard anything yet about the draft review episode. And then I was painfully reminded, uh, because you haven't recorded it yet, dumbass. That's why. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, just because you recorded your interview with Scott Wright on Wednesday, which is now two, three days ago, doesn't mean that you finished the rest of the show. So, hey, here I am to finish 
the rest of the show. What's going on, everybody? Larity back to 2019 draft review episode of the Bears Talk Underground. And, um, you know, I, I guess this serves as, as a good time to post the, the show now that we are a officially a full week removed from the 2019 NFL draft. Um, we had quite a bit of a weight on our hands uh, thanks to the Khalil Mack and Anthony Miller trades. The Bears weren't picking. Oh, and also... Not only because of the Khalil Mack and Anthony Miller trades, but thanks to a 12-4 and playoff season, we had to wait all the way until 87 uh, to make our first selection. But good old Ryan Pace ran out of patience with the rest of us and made some moves to make sure we did not have to wait until 87. And uh, we'll talk about all of that with our friend Scott right here uh, in just a few moments. So, um, so yeah, first of all, uh, apologies. Uh, I apologize to you. Uh, for the length of the wait uh, for the show. Uh, I would also like to apologize to Scott Wright, who I told on Wednesday night when we recorded our interview that this show would be up on Thursday. I don't know what happened to me over the last couple of days as I have been busy doing nothing for the last couple of days. So why I just automatically thought that the show was done and in the ether when I did nothing whatsoever to finish it I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was an April showers to May flowers, you know, brain fart or whatever in my head. I don't know. I honestly cannot explain it. And uh, then it just kind of dawned on me as I woke up this morning on Saturday that, um, you know, w why haven't I heard anything back about the show or, or, or anything like that? Because, as I said at the top of the show, you haven't recorded it yet. Oh, yeah. You know, because. Uh, I was because I, I was looking at the the the, the headlines um, uh, this morning when I woke up as uh, you know, when you're on when it's Saturday and you don't have to get up and go to work. Uh, there's no rush to get out of bed in the morning. So basically, I just pick up my phone. I, I roll over and uh, just start thumbing through uh, Twitter and Facebook and various other outlets and, and, and what have you. And uh, one of the things that that kind of made headlines yesterday on Friday as the Bears started their. Uh, rookie minicamp was the fact that the Bears had eight kickers in camp yesterday. Uh, according to Matt Nagy, they still have all eight. So uh, what I'm about to tell you did not impact the status of anybody on the uh, minicamp roster. But we <laughs> we had eight guys, and at the end of practice yesterday, all eight guys took one shot at a 43-yard field goal. Now, why is that significant? Well, it is significant because a 43-yard field goal was the last play that our beloved Chicago Bears took play, took part in in the uh, wild card loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. And out of those eight kickers, how many made the 43-yard field goal? 43 yards, it's, it's a pretty decent distance, but it's actually a pretty regular, uh, common, uh, I would say, um, you know, degree of difficulty not as high when you're talking 43 it's it's you know most kick, if you're kicking in the nfl you have the leg to make a 43 yard kick it's just about putting it through the uprights and the problem being only two of the eight made the field goal two of eight that's 25 percent for those of you keeping score at home one out of four two of eight not good I'm, I'm good with math and fractions and stuff like that so but anyway uh and one i heard <laughs> one actually doinked off the upright no one will say uh who the who the two that made it were 
or uh, you know who the who the, the the very lucky guy that banked it off the uh, crossbar or uh, upright, I should say, uh, was anyone. If uh, there was one doinker, as, as it was reported, but uh, no one. Uh, all all names have been have been uh, protected up to this point. But uh, Matt Nagy, of course, made it a point to talk about that after the uh, practice. He said, obviously, two out of eight is not good enough. And uh, we all know why it was a 43-yard kick. We, there's no secrets as to why it was a 43 The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Three-yard kick, and, you know, I, th- I think w- I like a- what they did, or they and, and Nagy or whoever, you know, the brain trust, if you will. Um, I like the significance of it picking a 43-yard field goal, making sure the entire team was watching. I mean, it's as close to a high-pressure situation that you can create in that scenario. You know, here you are in minicamp. you got nothing but friendly faces uh, around you, except, of course, the other seven guys that want the same job that you want. But uh, nonetheless, you know, you're you're on the spot. Everybody is watching. And, uh, you know, here you are. Can you pull it off? Can you do what the last guy couldn't? Can you make this field goal? And I'm sure it was on the, the right hash, just like the just like Parky's last attempt was and, and all the rest of that. Uh, in fairness uh, to the guys who missed it, Matt Nagy made a point to say that uh, some of the holes and snaps weren't the best, so maybe that contributed uh, to the result. But that's also football. I mean, they're, they're professionals, but they're not perfect. So every now and then you're going to get a bad snap or an odd hold or something like that. It's still your job to put it through the uprights. They're not going to be perfect uh, every single time. But Matt Nagy made it a point to to tell everyone not everyone got a perfect snap and a hold. So that kind of factored into how it went. I mean, maybe somebody ended up having to kick the laces. I don't know why that matters, but it does. And uh, even as a former kicker myself, you will hear me tell that very uh, interesting story uh, to Scott Wright later on uh, in the interview about being a uh, place kicker. And I actually was a place kicker in high school. It was quite the adventure. And uh, <laughs> this is true, I swear to God. But uh, we talk about that with uh, Scott Wright amongst uh, many other things uh, in this uh, draft. We start off with some general uh, draft talk, talking about some of the first round choices 
um, some surprises, you know, surprise the fact that our trade, we didn't get our first trade until the 10th pick in the draft. We're usually, we're, you know, looking at, uh, tr- you know, picks, trades in the top five, top, you know, seven or eight picks. Last year it was, last year we made it to seven. This year we made it to 10 before the first uh, trade uh, came in where the where Pittsburgh moved up to uh, draft Devin Bush, whose name I could not remember when I was talking to Scott Wright. But, um, you know, nonetheless, I, I love having Scott uh, on the show and, uh, you know, talking uh, about the draft. And now we begin that that long hiatus between now and 340 days from now uh, when we will have Scott Wright back on to preview. Uh, the draft so uh, you know and maybe I'll try to find different ways because I'm, I'm really thinking about what I want to do next offseason I've had some ideas and maybe you guys can can chime in uh, on this because um, you know as I mentioned uh, it was either during the schedule release or the draft preview show is that uh, as, as much as I enjoy uh, the time that I that I have to myself during the um, during the off season where I, where I sprinkle myself here and there, uh, you know, I've actually added a few episodes this year because of the the Emery Moorhead and the um, Kyle Brandt uh, interviews, which were a blast to do, uh, by the way. But, you know, usually it's just, OK, we have the f- the first episode of the season is usually the free agency preview. Then maybe wait a couple weeks, the free agency review. Then we will have the draft preview, the the schedule release, and then the draft review. And then we do our opponent previews and so on. So we got a couple extra with the Emory Moorhead and the Kyle Brandt episodes. But I was thinking of, of wanting to do something next year to be a bit more regular. And here's the idea that I had. And, and let me know if you guys would be interested in this. When Ryan Simmons uh, and I, my good friend Ryan, for you OGs out there, you know I've had Ryan on the show a few times. Uh, he and I uh, started my our first podcast together called the Sports Talk Underground, which is why the Bears Talk Underground name is significant. It's kind of a callback to my very first uh, podcast. When we had the Sports Talk Underground, we really want to kind of model ourselves after our favorite sports talk show at the time, which is still going strong, by the way, on ESPN called Pardon the Interruption. And uh, in Pardon the Interruption, they would talk about all, all, you know, all topics in sports. They wouldn't just focus on football. But there was also something that we wanted to add, which was we also like talking about music and movies and TV and you know, pop culture and, uh, and things like that. And it was a segment that we had in every episode of the Sports Talk Underground called off the subject and I was thinking that maybe you know if there's no Bears news if I don't want to do an episode on the 10 running backs the Bears might be looking at in free agency and or the draft which is just that's not I'm not that guy I'm not an evaluator Uh, I don't have access to the film so I couldn't tell you uh, about the you know the various players and, and and whatnot it's it it just it would be me uh, pissing in the wind for 45 minutes trying to put a show out. I was thinking that maybe next year uh, I would talk about off the subject stuff. Like I would, you would see, uh, you know, like all the shows. In uh, if you look at the titles of the show, all the shows before we get to our opponent previews are off season episode number blah blah blah. Like off season episode number one, 
Emery Moorhead, offseason episode number two, the free agency uh, preview. Kyle Brandt was number three and so on and so forth. It would be offseason episode number one, off the subject, and talk about, you know, like the, the Oscars or something like that. Or, you know, like I just went and saw Avengers Endgame. Maybe I would do an episode talking about the Avengers and spoiling the hell out of it. I don't care what anybody says. I went and saw it. So can you. Uh, and, and things like that. Is that something you guys might be interested in when I do like, you know, next off season or, or something uh, like that to kind of sprinkle uh, just kind of sprinkle that in, uh, keep the show coming out and give me a reason to do at least one episode a week during the uh, the off season. So I never really get out of the habit because I am a world class procrastinator, as you can see. Because I'm doing an episode on Saturday that I did most of the heavy lifting for on Wednesday, but my brain got into relaxation mode, and I'm now just finishing the other half of the episode now. So I am world class. I, I would deserve a Nobel Prize in procrastination. So if, if I allow myself to sit around and do nothing for too long, then it becomes harder and harder and harder to get up and do something. So I was thinking that maybe I would do something of this of this caliber next season maybe you know do a little bit more because the other thing that's been great about this year is the the networking that I've been doing uh you know thanks to my connection to, to Jeff Perlman uh we had Kyle Brandt on the show thanks to my connection to Kyle Brandt working on another NFL network uh you know uh anchor having him uh on the show it's not a done deal yet we're still talking he has agreed but now it's time to uh, nailed down an actual time and place. I'll reveal the name uh, later on. But, you know, because of that networking thing, I've been able to connect with him. And uh, I've got some ideas on some people that I might be able to reach out to to either have them on the show or to see if maybe they might be able to help me get someone else uh, on the show uh, kind of thing. So uh, that's been very uh, that's been very fulfilling. It's, it's a lot of fun to be able to do that, to to network with people in, in general is a lot of fun. Um, you know, like through my networking with, with guys like Lauren Cox, I've been able to have other like locked on uh, podcasters on the show uh, last season. He helped me a lot with the NFC West. I was getting nowhere on my own with the NFC West. He helps me. Uh, he helps hook us up with the with Brad Mater from the Rams and our good friend from the uh, Spike uh, from the uh, from the Seahawks. Had a lot of fun talking. We talked about punters for five minutes. How awesome was that? But, uh, you know, this is the thing. This is why I love doing uh, the podcast, and I want to give myself a reason to keep doing it even at a time when I wouldn't normally be doing it. So whether it's, uh, you know, I've got some ideas about what I want to do next off season, and I plan to uh, implement them, so at least I'm doing one episode a week during the off season, even when there's nothing football-related uh, going on. So maybe I'll do... Uh, Maybe I'll do a show where I do a, like an old school uh, movie review of the program, which is my favorite football movie, by the way, and, uh, you know, other stuff like that. So, I mean, let me know if you guys would be interested uh, in something uh, like that, if you would actually listen uh, to that, if you would listen to me ramble on for 45 minutes about Endgame and how I bawled my eyes out at the end uh, of it, that would uh, think you maybe you guys might be interested in that, so... Anyway, aside from the, uh, you know, six out of eight guys missing the field goal yesterday, not a whole lot of activity going on in Bears land. Uh, nobody has signed a contract yet, or at least uh, as of this moment, nobody has. But um, 
So why don't we say, go ahead and uh, bring Scott right in, and we'll have our discussion reviewing the 2019 NFL Draft, where Scott gives us his thoughts on the draft in general and what he thinks of the Bears, the guy or the guys the Bears drafted, and the uh, undrafted free agents that uh, that we've uh, brought on board as well. So without further ado, myself and Scott Wright reviewing the 2019 NFL Draft. And as we enter the the desolate uh, wasteland that is the NFL offseason between the draft and the start of training camp, before we say goodbye to the draft where where we're going to have Scott Wright come back and visit us one last time to actually talk about the picks that the Bears made and talk about the draft in general, uh, Scott, welcome uh, welcome back. How, how did you enjoy the draft this past weekend? It's good to be back, and it's uh, it, I love the draft, as I always do. It's always a little disappointing when the draft is over. You build all year long, and then and it seems like in the blink of an eye, those three days are over. But right. you know, as we were talking about beforehand, uh, it's refreshing to turn the page and you have a whole new group of prospects to talk about. And, uh, and that, that's the great thing about the NFL draft. Even when one finishes up, the next one's less than a year away. Yes, because I was, I was on the website earlier today looking at uh like your first round review and and and, and whatnot and um i saw the the clock in the corner the 2020 nfl draft 358 days this many hours this many minutes and seconds ticking down until we actually arrive in uh vegas next year how about that vegas baby vegas yeah it'd be the first season for the raiders in vegas next year and uh and everything so it's it's going to be a it's definitely going to be a spectacle It'll be hard to top what Nashville pulled off this past weekend, 600,000 people showing up uh, on opening night for round one and, and the streets basically just being a, a clogged batch of chaos all weekend long. It was pretty incredible seeing that, that sea of people in town and once again for the second year in a row, record television ratings and viewership for the draft. So it's awesome. I, I love that everyone's kind of uh, seen what I've loved for so long. Yeah, I, I enjoy the draft quite a bit, and um, you know, I always kind of have. There's, there's all sorts of like you know, you know, built in like drama and intrigue and 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 whatnot. And and for me, and and you kind of uh, talked about it a bit in your rev- your first round review. You were like, I don't understand why people were surprised that the Cardinals took Kyler Murray. Honestly, I'm not surprised that they did, just because it's been talked about for so long. I'm. But I, I guess I am at the same time. It's like, why would they do that? I mean, I know we got a, a new quarterback or excuse me, a new head coach and, and wants to bring in. He's got a history with Kyler Murray and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, why give up so quickly on Josh Rosen and, and move on with with Kyler Murray? I think a big part is the Patrick Mahomes factor. I think uh, a mm-hmm. lot of teams, including the Cardinals, saw the type of excitement that having an exciting player like Patrick Mahomes, your quarterback generated and. And I mean, I like Josh Rosen, but he's never going to be that. And and Kyler Murray may not be either, but there's a chance. And uh, no question, the Cardinals made a very unorthodox move, and it's going to be fascinating to watch play out. And it might blow up on their face in their face and get everybody fired. But if it works out, I mean, it's going to reinvigorate that organization and give them the type of buzz they haven't had in in, in maybe my lifetime, to be honest. So it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to watch, but. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was shocked that even the night before the draft, there are still people and good people that I respect reporting, oh, the Cardinals might aren't they? They're not going to take Kyler Murray. They might take someone else. And I was like, I mean, that bridge with Josh Rosen by that point had been burnt. Uh, yeah. The analogy I made on Twitter is that you know, try going around dating someone else for a few months and then going back to your significant other and say, you know what, I I decided to stick with you after all. You know, see how that <laughs> works out. I mean, it, it was just it, it was. It was irreparable by the time the draft rolled around, so it, it, I thought that was funny. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that the you know the 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 train had left the station by the time we we got through because it had been ever since the speculation had began, there had n- never really been any like truly solid endorsements from the front office. I know Steve Kimes at one point said that you know Josh is our guy and everything, but it was kind of said in a way that for now is what he said. Josh is our guy for now. It's like, well, okay, I guess. But um, one question I forgot to ask you when, when I had you on the first time is like, you know, you had your mock draft. You said Kyler was going to go number one. So, you know, he's going number one in the draft. Was he the best player in the draft? That was the question that I failed to ask you the first time around. Oh, definitely not. Not even close in my perspective. I think I had him at like number 20 overall in my oh, final wow. ranking, okay. something like that. Uh uh, and, and granted, I'm a little bit more conservative when it comes to quarterbacks. I like what's time-tested time and proven that I know works, but he was my second-ranked quarterback after Dwayne Haskins, and the reason I gave Haskins a little bit more of an edge is because he's that, that big-arm pocket passer. Uh, but you know what? I mean, I, I, even myself, I've given Curry, I, I gave Kyler Murray a lot more leeway than I would have 10 years ago. I mean, I, I think uh, 10 years ago, I, along with just about everybody else, would have said, oh, he's a day-three guy, maybe Maybe he's going to be a return specialist, uh, uh, you know, maybe move him to wide receiver or something of that nature. It just goes to show it, 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 it kind of impresses upon me how much times have changed that I have a quarterback rated that high, with that style rated that high because, um, you know, as I said, 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, that would have been absolutely unheard of. Right, yeah, and it's uh, because of guys like uh, Russell Wilson that, yeah. uh, that that NFL, you know, front offices and coaches are – are even giving guys like Kyler Murray uh, a look. I mean, for all the for all the dyna, dynamics he pulled off and winning the Heisman in, at Oklahoma, he's still only five foot ten and weighs a little bit less than two hundred pounds. I mean, is that really a guy you want back there running away from Khalil Mack and company? And Baker Mayfield's success last year as number True. one pick, yeah. I think, helped a little bit as well. Yeah, it's a bunch of little pieces that have kind of contributed to to making this scenario that enabled Kyler Murray to be the number one pick. So. After that, um, what kind of what other surprises would you say that you saw in the first round? Because I don't think we had any surprise that that Bosa went to. Um, there was some speculation about what the Jets would do with three. Ultimately, they settled on on on, uh, on Quinnen Williams. Yep. Williams, right? Quinnen Williams, who who sneezed and blessed himself all at the same time. Did you see that clip? Online? I did not see that one. Yeah, that was interesting. He sneezed, then blessed himself, then thanked himself for blessing himself. It was actually pretty pretty hilarious. But it's quite a hidden talent. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Um, but then uh, Mike Mayock and, and John Gruden with their first draft pick take, uh, is it Cleland or Cleland Farrell? Cleland. Cleland Farrell is the way he likes to pronounce it. Farrell. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and to me, this was the biggest surprise of the first round, not because it was so unorthodox and it was a huge reach, but simply because, I mean, I could rattle you off six, seven, eight names of guys I had heard linked to the Raiders that either John Gruden loves, Mike Mayock loves, the Raiders love, what, what have you. Qu- uh, Cleveland Furrow was never one of them. 
So, so that's why it was a surprise, just because you'd never heard that name linked to them. But, but value-wise, maybe a little bit of a stretch. Uh, I think they probably could have gotten him a little later, but by all accounts, there wasn't a deal on the table. So, uh, so they just stuck to their board and, and took the guy that they had their heart set on and wanted. And, you know, I think he got, kind of got lost in the shuffle during the pre-draft process because he wasn't as flashy and physically talented as, say, Rashawn Gary or a Montez Sweat. But what gave Furl the edge over those guys is, I think, the consistency, uh, the well-rounded ability, the, the, the production over multiple years against top competition, and, and just as overall intangibles. That's what the, the Raiders fell in love with. And I think that was a the theme of their draft class. As much about talent, it was about intangibles and building that winning culture that they want to instill. So, uh, you know, that, that surprised me. I, like I said, I think they could have gotten probably 10 picks later, but, I mean, it's a good player. It addresses their number one needs. So uh, definitely not. I, I think uh, I was more surprised last year with Denzel Ward going number four overall than I was Farrell going four this year. Oh, actually, I would agree with that, actually. Yeah, that was that was quite the surprise when, when it wasn't Bradley Chubb to be the bookend to uh, – you know, for the for the Browns there, I thought that was uh, quite a surprise. But um, the Buccaneers were 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 mocked to pick um, White at number five at, for the linebacker, but then six is where <laughs> is where if you're a Giants fan, all hell breaks loose when the Giants <laughs> announce their pick at number six. Because I mean, they should. I, they, I saw videos where people were watching the draft from uh, MetLife Stadium like violently freaking out when the name Daniel Jones was called uh, for number six. I mean, I th- it was widely speculated that the, the Giants may take a quarterback. They might take one at six. If they get Daniel Jones, then he'll have to be waiting for them at 17, not taking him at number six while Haskins was still on the board. Well, if you need a good laugh, go on I, on social media. There's all kinds of uh, reaction videos. Oh man, from, I've, from, I've watched several of them. Yeah, it's hilarious. They're they're golden. They really are. And uh, and I mean, I, I've for months I had been saying Daniel Jones is going to be a New York Giant. I mean, it, it, he's exactly what they look for in that position. It, it was a fait accompli. Uh, it was just a matter of what point would they take him. And and I'm I'm kind of of the of the the, the opinion of if you like him that much, which they obviously did. They had a conviction in him. Why risk it? Why take a chance on him falling to you at 17? Take him at six. Uh, and, and and I tend to agree with that. Now, I'm not a huge Daniel Jones fan. I had him, I think, uh, just outside or just inside my top 50 overall. So not the pick I would have made there for, for the Giants. But, you know, the, the, he's taken a lot of hits in the last week or so. And it's not like he isn't without merits. I mean, it's not like they took a seventh-round pick, six overall. Um, he has a chance to be a good starting quarterback. Uh, uh, there's a lot to like about him. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's. I, I, I think ultimately the Giants are in a better place now than they were before the draft. At least now they have a young quarterback that they like in-house, and there's a plan of succession in place. We can debate how good of a plan it is, but at least there's a plan, and there wasn't a plan a week ago. So, um, it, I, as a rule, I try not to criticize teams for what they do at the quarterback position because I appreciate them at least trying uh, and, and ultimately, if Daniel Jones becomes even an average starting quarterback in the NFL, he'll have been worth the sixth pick three times over. But if it doesn't work out, it's just going to make that decision to pass on Sam Darnold last year yeah. uh, look that much more awful, and it'll just <laughs> compound that mistake, and, uh, and it'll haunt them for the next half a decade or decade. Yeah, that's that's going to be the, the comparison for quite some time. It's, it's Darnold and Quinnen Williams or... 
uh, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, which pair would you rather have? And I think that right now the Jets have to be the happier of the two. Well, and the other thing to remember for the Giants is, yeah, Saquon worked out as well as they ever possibly could have hoped, and he got them all the way to six wins in the, or four wins or whatever it was, the sixth pick in the draft. And, and now Saquon, he's already four more years, and you're going to have to pay him. <laughs> By the time he's up, he's, he's going to get a $125 million contract. So yeah. uh, you, you already paid through the nose for a running back, and you're one year closer to paying through the nose again, and, and you're a long way from contending. Yeah, yeah, it's a mess. So... Any other surprises? I mean, we didn't get our first trade until ten when the when the Steelers traded up to uh, to get. Um, oh man, I'm so bad with it this year. Devin Bush. Thank you, Devin Bush. It was I knew it was a linebacker. They went and got the linebacker. I knew that they were. They, you know, I'd heard that they coveted him, so they he was. There's no way he was going to be there at twenty when they originally thinking yep. they make the deal with Denver and and they get their guy. I was surprised that it took us ten picks to get to our first trade. Uh, of the night but uh, any other surprises in the uh, in the first round aside from the for me the biggest surprise was that Haskins fell to 15 the Redskins who had been talked about about trading up all the way up to three with the Jets to get Haskins sat and waited and he actually came to them as opposed to the Redskins being their their you know crazy um, impulsive selves and giving up the store to draft somebody that would have fallen into their laps and I think the lack of trades at the top of the draft was a product of a lack of buyers, more so than a lack of sellers. I sure, think there were plenty of sure. teams that one move down. Nobody was really will, willing to, to pay the price tag to move up. But I really like the Steelers trading up to get Devin Bush, the linebacker from Michigan at number 10. As you talked about, that was the guy they were linked to. They, he's an absolutely perfect fit for what they need as a replacement for Ryan Shazier. But there was no chance he was going to get to 20, and that's what good teams do. They, they find the guy that, that they want, and they go get him. They don't hope he's going to fall into the lap or hope something crazy happens. You go get him. Uh, so I applaud that. And, and then on the reverse end of that spectrum, I think the Houston Texans got outmaneuvered in the first round. Yeah. And that's nothing against the guy they wound up taking, Titus Howard, the offensive tackle from Alabama State. He was going to be a top 50 pick, so not a gigantic reach at 23. And you know, five years from now, he has a chance to be the best blocker to come out of this class. He has that type of talent and upside, but he's raw. He's a converted tight end who's only been playing along the offensive line a few years, and, and Houston needs an offensive tackle now. Uh, so I just worry that he's going to get thrown to the wolves before he's ready, whereas Andre Dillard, the consensus top left tackle of this draft, almost fell to them. He was available way later than he should have been. Uh, and then one pick ahead of them, the Eagles trade up and steal him away. So um, th that's something I think the Texans might end up regretting. And then partly because of that, because they took such a raw guy next, they had to use their second-round pick on another blocker, kind of as ins quasi-insurance. So so those are the two sides of the coin. And, and I like a lot of things the Houston Texans did, and I don't have anything against Howard specifically, but I'm just a big believer that the good teams on draft day, they're proactive and, instead of reactive. Right, so... Any other surprises uh, in the first round? I mean, did you have a second-round grade on, on Drew Locke? Was, was he supposed to land or wait until 42 to finally get picked? I actually did have a second-round grade on him, a very okay. high second-round grade, uh, but very much a boomer bust type of prospect. And and I, I for, sorry, I forgot to hit on Dwayne Haskins you mentioned. And uh, for him falling to Washington at 15, I think that was a coup for them because yeah. the, day of the, the day of the draft, I was getting texts from people, Washington's trying to trade up for Haskins, and they're as high as three overall. So to yeah. stay at 15 and get him was great value. He addresses the need, and honestly, he's probably a better 
quarterback prospect than Washington had any right to hope for considering where they're picking in the draft. Um, he's got a lot of upside. There's a lot to like about him. And, and more than anything for Washington, it's just a breath of fresh air. I mean, they, they have something to be excited about, not only this upcoming season, but beyond. Whereas you take Haskins out of that equation, uh, it, it's looking pretty bleak in Washington otherwise. So I think that was a great pick. Um, Drew Locke, uh, as you mentioned, he fell into the second round, but landed with a, a great team for him with the Denver Broncos. Uh, even going back to the Senior Bowl in January, that was all the chatter down in Mobile that that was the quarterback John Elway liked, Drew Locke. And uh, he, it, was his, it was the Broncos' third pick, but he eventually got their man. And, and I'm sure Drew Locke was disappointed, but this is a great situation because, I mean, he's going to be starting at some point during his rookie season because Joe Flacco is not the solution. Right. And, and the best thing for, for Drew Locke is he landed with a team that believes in him. I mean, like I said, for months they've been linked. So that goes a long way if John Elway likes Drew Locke, Locke as much as it seems he does. So um, a pretty good situation and a uh, great move by the Broncos. They didn't take him at 10 overall. They traded down, took a couple other players, and they still wound up with the, their potential quarterback of the future. And uh, if it doesn't work out a year from now, they can be back in the quarterback mix because all they spent was a second-round pick. Right, and and uh, they got Noah Fant, the tight end from – Iowa, which made waves here in, in my area, as in in the Cedar Rapids, Iowa City uh, area. You know the guy, and I mean two first round tight ends for Iowa. Uh, Hawkinson goes eight to Detroit, and then Fant goes twenty to to Denver. I didn't know that both of those tight ends were that highly touted. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive, and and you know during their college careers, it was Fant that was the more highly regarded because he's the the super productive touchdown machine and super toolsy in terms of the the length and the athleticism. But Hawkinson wound up going eight overall because he's the more well-rounded player and no slouch in the athleticism and the pass catching department either. So two really good players and Fant's intriguing there in Denver. Uh, I, I compared him to Eric Ebron for the good. That yeah. that made him so successful with the Colts this past year, as yeah. well as the bad that made him flame out in Detroit. So, um, but but I mean, boy, what a dynamic weapon to have at the tight end position. You can stretch the field vertically. You can basically use him as a, a pumped up wide receiver if you want to, uh, and, and very productive. It's not like he's just this workout warrior. He translated that in production throughout his college career. So, uh, really intriguing pick for the Broncos there at number twenty, and and I thought he might slide even further than that. I had him as one of my top dozen overall players because of the talent, but. I thought because of the intangibles, maybe he slides to the latter part of round one. Maybe even I thought into round two, it wouldn't have shocked me. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see uh, him come off the board in the top 20. Now, when we get into the, the second round, I have to confess that I, I happen to enjoy watching the second round of the draft a bit more than the, the first round. I mean, the first round is always fun. You have these guys making trades and moving up, and you find out who's in love with who. But it's in the second round, in my opinion, that you really kind of see where teams' draft boards are at because you look at Mel Kuyper's top available and, like, the top ten guys don't start moving because this team is wants this guy and takes him at that spot in the second round and so on and, and, and so forth. I, to me, the second round is the more intriguing one because that's, I think, where more surprises come when you see, you know, all of a sudden these prospects that aren't exactly household names becoming top second round picks when you know Kuiper and company have like a third or fourth round grade on the guy but this team is in love with him he feels a need boom so they go ahead and take him yeah absolutely and for me personally the the day two of the NFL draft rounds two and three they're my personal favorite right. uh 
because basically you're getting guys that really talented players still, in many cases, guys that were talked about as maybe a potential first-round pick at, at one point in the process, and there's twice as many picks. So I'm a huge fan, and, and the, the important thing, too, and it, it dawns me more every year that I do this, is what little difference there is between a late first-round pick and not only a second-round pick, but honestly even a third-round pick. Uh, and that was especially the case this year. I mean, uh, you were getting really good players well into the third round. As I mentioned, players that were we talked about as first-rounders. Chase Winovich from Michigan uh, it would be uh, O'Shane Ziminis for the defensive end from Old Dominion. Uh, a couple examples, Draymond Jones from Ohio State. All these guys were talked about as potential first-rounders at one point. So uh, there was a lot of talent this year, and I think that's why we saw so much trading uh, because teams wanted to take advantage of the depth in this class. It wasn't so much about the elite talent at the top. It was the depth because we had a record number of underclassmen come out, and uh, I think that trickled down all throughout all seven rounds and, and even into undrafted free agency. There was a higher quality of player than, than you'd usually get at that point. So as we talk into, into day two, we'll use that as our, our way of transitioning into my beloved Chicago Bears because it was late in day two that we finally got a chance to make uh, a selection. And, and true to form for Ryan Pace, he did not sit and wait uh, for the player to come to him. He went to the player, jumped up 14 spots from 87 to 73 to take David Montgomery, the running back out of Iowa State. Now we talked briefly about Montgomery when I had you on uh, for the preview, uh, it's been getting good reviews from the Chicago area about the, the you know, not only the, 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 the player that we're getting, but the, but the, but the, the man himself off the field as well and the positivity. And, and that's why he's almost a better fit for Chicago as a, as a character guy off the field than, than, uh, and also a good scheme fit for the Bears on the field. Yeah, really good fit. You hear comparisons to Kareem Hunt and uh, Dave Montgomery, not a lot of flash to his game. Right. He's not the most exciting runner, but just does everything really well. Run, catch, block, uh, just a workhorse. He's proven he can carry the load and uh, is going to be a perfect complement to Tariq Cohen in that backfield. And uh, He was one of the consensus top four guys at that position. And and I think one, once the, the Bears saw Daryl Henderson from Memphis come off the board, that was their indication, okay, time to go get our guy. Because if they didn't get Montgomery, I think they probably would have been reaching. And So I, I think if you won one of the top tier of runners, you had to get one of the top four, and they got the fourth of those four. So uh, once again, good job by them for being proactive. And uh, because somebody else, uh, the Buffalo Bills, traded up with the very next pick to take another running back. So they saw that run uh, coming, and they were, they were aggressive to make sure they got their guy. And then in the fourth round, the, the one that really surprised me was um, not so much that the Bears take, took him, but the fact that he was still there at 126 in the fourth round. The Bears take Riley Ridley, the, the brother of Calvin Ridley, wide receiver from, uh, from, uh, from Georgia. And that was a pick that was almost po more popular than David Montgomery just because we got a guy in the fourth round that was not supposed to be there. Yeah, no doubt. Really good pick. And and most thought Ridley was going to go, if not the second round, certainly in the third round. But uh, but a great value in the fourth. And, and the reason he fell, I think, is because of the lack of overall pure speed and explosiveness. He ran just under 4.6. But I think he plays faster. I think he's got nimble feet. He does all the little things. He's an outstanding route runner. He's got good hands. And I tell you what, I... I, I put him in the same category as Anthony Miller, who the Bears took early in round two last nice. year. So uh, I think that was a terrific value for Chicago. And 
it's one of those guys where he's going to end up being a better pro than college player, I think. And I can't wait for you to be right about that. That's gonna, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, what can you tell me about the last three guys we got? We got Duke Shelley, the corner from Kansas State in the sixth round, Kareth White, the junior out of Florida Atlantic, another running back for the Bears, and then Steven Denmark, a cornerback from Division II of Aldosta State in the seventh round as well. can tell you a bunch about him. Uh, Start Duke Shelley, uh, not real big, uh, either in height or bulk, uh, but playmaker in the secondary. That's the thing that stands out about him. He's a ball hawk. A whole bunch of pass breakups and interceptions during his college career. Lip upside is limited. He's going to be a backup defensive back, but but uh, you know I, I think playmaking ability in the secondary goes a long way, and, and, and that's that's his number one selling point. Uh, Kierth White, the running back from Florida Atlantic, uh, was overshadowed by uh, his teammate Devin Singletary, who wound up going to the third round. In fact, he's the guy that went with the very next pick uh, after David Montgomery in the third mm-hmm. round behind the Bears. Uh, but Kierth White, uh, really uh, another guy who came out as an underclassman. Uh, what got him drafted is he ran four three seven at his pro day at just a, at five ten, just a shade under two hundred pounds, and really it's about his return skills. That's why you bring in Kierth White. He's going to be a return man. That's his ticket to making an NFL roster. And then Steven Denbark, uh, the cornerback from Valdosta State, he's really interesting. He came on my radar a few months ago. Actually, uh, he's a converted wide receiver, uh, six two and a half, two hundred twenty pounds, yeah. so an uh, unbelievable size, a cornerback or safety size. Then he ran a four four six at his pro day. So a really intriguing developmental guy, as I said, either corner or safety. And and I had some people even say, you know what, you could probably make him like a weak side linebacker in the right scheme too. So kind of a raw ball of clay that uh, I think ideally it's probably going to be ticketed to the practice squad, but an intriguing athlete to get late in the seventh round. Yeah, that, that made all the sense in the world when you said he was a converted wide receiver because I saw he was 6'2", 6'3", 220 pounds. That is huge. Uh, for a cornerback but to hear that he was a wide receiver at one point that that make that is more of a wide receiver frame so that makes a lot of sense yeah absolutely and and just one of those kind of lottery tickets and and that's kind of what you get late in the draft you either get guys with a lot of potential or maybe guys with not so much potential and and he definitely falls into the former category it's it's, there's not a lot in between otherwise they'd be gone early so you're either getting lottery tickets or or you're getting low upside players and, and Denmark would qualify as the lottery ticket sure so now we 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 will talk about this this batch of uh, twenty one undrafted free agents, and, and the Bears are usually that team that signs maybe anywhere from like eight to twelve. Um, but we went ahead and signed twenty one uh, this year. Um, can you take a look at the list and maybe pick out a few of your favorites? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the name that that really stands out and flashes is Missouri wide receiver Emmanuel Hall, who yeah. There was talk that that he could go on day two in, in the third round. Uh, I've never been quite as high on him. He's one of those guys that I kind of had him on that third, fourth round fringe, and I bumped him a little higher just because I thought he was going to go early. Uh, but ultimately, I think the the concerns about his intangibles and durability are what pushed him down. And uh, you know, he he's one of those guys. I remember at the introductory press conference at the Senior Bowl, they asked both uh, Jim Nagy, the executive director, and his quarterback Drew Locke. And they were both kind of, uh, it's kind of hard to describe, but they were both kind of perplexed as to why he wasn't there. It was just kind of odd. And uh, he's one of those guys who's just blazing fast, but 
he's one of those track athletes who everything's got to be right. He's got to be 100%. So I think that's all what contributed to him falling, but but truly rare speed. A uh, guy who can take the top off a of defense. Drew Locke loved throwing to him and uh, and was a different player when he was in the on the te- in the game. So um, a, a very one of one of the better free agents that were available after the draft and uh, and I'm sure on the short list for just about everybody and the biggest surprises that went uh, unselected. And then the other guy I really like uh, is Notre Dame offensive lineman Alex Bars. Uh, I think if he had not got hurt as a senior, he was on track to maybe be a top 100 pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still thought somebody was going to take a flyer on him on day three. Uh, but I think he's kind of a victim this year of, of the depth of this draft. So that allowed the Bears to get a good one. And certainly Harry Heastand, the Bears offensive line coach, is very familiar with what Bars brings to the table. And yeah. at the very least, I think you're getting a versatile swing backup who can help you at guard or tackle. And, and I think you have potential maybe get a starting player there. I think that's uh, one of the values of free agency. And um, the other one that that was kind of uh, you know that that's been getting uh, high praise uh, for the Bears in the undrafted class is is Dax Raymond, the tight end from from Utah State, saying that um, you know the Bears kind of got a got the number one tight end that went undrafted uh, when they signed him. Yeah, and, and that was my top tight end that went undrafted. I had him as my tight end fourteen, so I had him as a basically I think a six round pick uh, and a guy who was at the Senior Bowl. He came out early as a redshirt junior. Um, not a lot of flash to his game. I think that he's a pretty productive receiver, but no, no necessarily standout trait. And I think that's what hurt him a little bit, especially in this deep crop of, of players at that position. Tight end was one of the deepest positions in this draft. And, and I think he got nudged out by some of these guys who weren't maybe as good receivers, but they were outstanding blockers. Guys like Isaac Nata from Georgia. Um, even you saw Drew Sample from Washington get pushed up higher than he should have. So I think teams kind of uh, shied a little bit more towards those blockers at that position, especially later in the draft. Trayvon Wesco from West Virginia is another one. So I think that maybe hurt him a little bit. But, yeah, he was another guy that I was surprised went unselected. And um, a couple of um, guys I want to ask you about, see if, if uh, you know, I'm going to dig into your archives here. I mean, one we talked about briefly before, uh, we got started, but uh, two guys that were well, three, actually, now that I'm looking at the list. And it's just because I've never heard of the schools that they that they went to. Uh, the first one being Jonathan Harris, defensive lineman from Lindenwood. I don't know if that's a Division three school or if that's um, a Canadian uh, college or something like that. What Have you heard of Lindenwood? What do you know what who Jonathan Harris is? I do. He's been in my rankings. He was my defensive tackle, number 37. Uh, and the, the question with him is he's a little undersized. He, at his pro day, he was 6'4 and a half, only 282 pounds, though. So he's got that big frame, but um, he, he kind of is he a defensive tackle? Is he a five technique defensive end? So I think you kind of have to figure out what he is. But yeah, absolutely. He's one of the small guys on the radar. And I'm trying to think. I, I know Lyndon Woods had uh, players in the past. Uh, he, but yeah, absolutely. He was on the radar. Is it Division Three, Division Two, or what? What is Lindenwood? You know, I am awful at this because okay. <laughs> these colleges—I mean, because they've jumped around so much, right? Colleges that used to be yeah, small schools are no longer small schools anymore. Like Appalachian State's no longer a small school anymore. Right. Right. You know, so so I I I've, I've completely lost track. Maybe that maybe that's my old age catching up to me. But yeah, it's definitely not D- uh, Division One or FCS. Or right. F- yeah. Uh, the other two that I was asking about, we got a safety, Jordan Powell from, from Widener, and Joshua Simmons, a corner from Limestone. I have not heard of either of those schools. Have you, have you heard of them? 
I've heard of them, but neither were in my rankings. Okay. Uh, so, so they neither were more, and I ranked I think 965 guys. But, but I mean, oh, there's literally 2,000 guys who who had pro day workouts and who were on the radar. So, so yeah, I mean, and uh, you know, they're gonna be long shots, but they'll get a shot. Sure, sure. Just I have no idea. I mean, because that's not limestone university. That sounds like a wait a made up place. Like, <laughs> you know, like you would hear that on on some crappy TV show that's trying to. You know, do lay the, the the glorious limestone university tradition or something like that. So, uh, and then finally, the guy that we did talk about briefly before we got started, uh, Mathieu Betts, outside linebacker from Laval, which is a Canadian uh, university. Uh, I think he's the one that made his name at the was it the Senior Bowl that uh, he kind of made his strides. East West Shrine, Shrine game. Bowl. They, okay. Yep, they always traditionally uh, bring in a couple of a uh, couple of Canadian prospects and. Uh, of course, a few years ago, the, mo- the, the most famous example is uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who's been a, a terrific player for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and, and I like Betts. I was impressed with what I saw from him at the East-West Shrine game. Uh, and, and, you know, he's kind of that undersized pass rusher. He's a tweener, that defensive end outside linebacker, but but has some juice off the edge. He's got some pass rush ability and, and, and tested really well uh, before the draft, too. So he was an interesting guy. In, in my final rankings, I had him just off the draftable range. So I, I like that pickup for them. And, and the other guy I would mention, too, for, uh, for the undrafted free agents is, is Marquez Tucker, the offensive okay. lineman out of Southern Utah. Um, you know, he's a, a former junior college transfer, but an athletic blocker, uh, can play guard or tackle. Um, and maybe even can 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 really play all along the offensive line and a guy who had some buzz late in the draft. I thought he had a chance to be selected late. So so that's another nice name they picked up. The Bears did well, like you said, they brought in what was it, twenty one guys. Twenty one, yeah. I mean, th- this th- this was a, a really deep draft, and because of that, it was a deep crop of undrafted free agents. Uh, most years, a lot of a bunch of these guys we're talking about would have been sixth or seventh round picks so uh good job for the by the bears to take advantage and and go after these guys yeah and the the uh, the, the bears got a second o-lineman from notre dame sam sam mustafar yep um what was he a tackle or a guard uh he was a center true center, a center. Uh, okay there you go yep starting center from notre dame uh really limited in terms of his athleticism uh and and just did not have a very good senior campaign, uh, mm-hmm. and that's why he didn't get invites to the combine or any of the All Star games. I think he's a long shot. Uh, honestly, I, I don't think he's anywhere near the class of Bars as a prospect. Uh, Bars has a, a much better chance, I think, of making the roster. Whereas Mustaver is kind of a camp guy, I think. Yeah, I think I like Alex Bars' chances of making the roster. I mean, I haven't seen any tape on the guy, but it's, he's got all the outside opportunity to do it. Number one. He has history with Harry Heaston, so he's he's got an in there. He plays interior offensive line, and the Bears lost two interior offensive linemen to free agency, uh, so we have a void to fill in that spot there. So I think he's got a really good shot uh, well, of making the roster before we even get started. And for what it's worth, uh, his old teammate Quentin Nelson really vouches for and raves yeah. about him. So th- yeah. that, that that should go somewhere. I always say players know players, and, and if he's got the Q seal of approval, that's good enough for me. Yeah, that guy was a beast for the Indianapolis Colts, man. I would, as much Special. as I as much as I loved Roquan Smith, I I still that would that would be a tough choice for me if I had to make it today. If I'm there and Quentin Nelson and Roquan are available, who do I take? That's that would be a tough choice. That Sophie's would be a choice. very tough choice. Uh, and and in in a lot of ways, you really can't go wrong, especially because both guys had really great rookie seasons. So um, it's it would be a tough call. Uh, to make so yeah if we could go back in time and Quentin Nelson's there at eight 
do we take him? Oh, I wouldn't hate it if we did. I mean, I would miss Roquan, but man, oh man, you can't pass on a guy like Quentin Nelson. That guy was a beast for the Colts uh, this year. So, um, anyways, um, one last thing: we signed two kickers. The uh, well, and we're going to bring six to the rookie minicamp that starts on Friday. Uh, by the way, but uh, Josh Barron, a kicker from San Diego State, he's my guy, and I'll tell you why. I'm left-footed. <laughs> so is he so and apparently he's got a big leg too he he, he he's i think his far this uh his longest one is 54 yards or something like that yep yeah and uh and he was actually my number four kicker so okay. uh so yeah i mean he was one of the top ranked guys and uh he was at the east west shrine game uh so so a, a good pickup uh certainly the bears have some kicking issues they need to sort out and uh yeah. and, and I, I like your method just going whoever uh is has the same dominant foot as you yes <laughs> it's probably as good as, as some teams have with their with their kicking evaluations <laughs> well i mean i left-footed kickers are as rare as left-handed quarterbacks in the nfl you just don't see them uh very often you know i think the last left-footed kicker i can think of was david Akers for the for the eagles he was left-footed wasn't he you know that's so weird i don't even pay attention to that type yeah. of stuff hardly <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Morton Anderson, he was a lefty. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest of all time and uh, and everything. But it's like, you know, my dad and I, anytime we watch football, whether it's the pros or college or anything like that, we always like, oh, that punter's left-footed. Hey, my dad and I, we are left-footed. So, hey, he must be awesome because he's left-footed just like us. So You've got that, like, implanted in my mind now when I'm watching. I'm going to watch that now. <laughs> You inceptioned me. <laughs> yes, there you go. I've, I've poisoned your mind. You will think only of left-footed kickers uh, from now on. So, yeah, I wasn't a very good kicker. I was a hell of a punter, but field goals, I was I was terrible. I could kick the hell out of the ball. It's just I had Cody Parkey syndrome. Putting him between the uprights <laughs> was the issue. Minor uh, detail. Yeah. You know, Cody Parkey had all the leg in the world. He just had a trouble, uh, you know, putting him between the actual space that it belonged in. So that was the issue I had as well. But But in my defense, I was a 14-year-old freshman not a 25, 26-year-old uh, professional. So, Well, and, you know, kick, speaking of kickers and punters, I talked about how deep this draft was and, and, and as, as deep as it was. And then we had spots taken up by a long snapper. We had two kickers drafted. We had two punters drafted. So, uh, you know, an already limited number of spots that were available for all these talented players. Yeah. We lopped off five of them right off the top with all these specialists. And, and honestly, I wouldn't have been surprised if one or two more specialists had been drafted. You know, it, it was it was uh, surprising to me, not that any kickers get drafted. It does happen. A, f- a guy that I went to school with, Mike Cyphers, was a punter, got drafted in the fifth round back in 2002, Chargers. 2003, exactly, yeah. Um, so it does happen. But it, it was funny to me that the first specialist to come off the board was taken by the Buccaneers, who were snake-bitten by making <laughs> a very dramatic draft choice a couple of years ago when they when they traded up in the second round to take Roberto Aguayo, and he was a disaster uh, for them. So, I mean, for them to be the ones to make the leap, I thought was very interesting. Even though it's it's a new, it's the same GM, it's a new head coach, and you know, new philosophy and and all that kind of stuff. But to go in and draft a kicker when when your your fan base has not forgotten about the nightmare that just incurred with the last guy that you made a move for. Yeah, if anybody's scarred, it's the Buccaneers. But I applaud them for going back to the well, you know, and, and not being afraid. And 
I mean, honestly, I, I don't think teams in the NFL take the kicker position as, as, as seriously as they should. I mean, how, how many times during the season do we see games won and lost by kickers? And, and certainly Chicago Bears fans. Yes. Uh, nobody need, I, I don't need to tell you guys. You about don't. It. You're on the wrong show to be preaching right. to the choir as far as that. You don't have to talk about needing a, you know, a quality kicker is, is important in the NFL. <laughs> Truly, I mean, it, oh. it it really is. I mean, and, and it's one of those things, you know, it's not sexy to use a draft pick on a kicker, but um, if you don't have one, boy, it, it can hurt you really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to need a minute. Um, <laughs> G- yeah. Gather yourself. <laughs> yes. I'm going to take a minute and count to 10. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, I, 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 I've always loved the draft. I mean, even back in, in, in high school, I, I would just love to sit and, and and watch the 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 draft selection show or whatever the hell it's actually called but um it's it's always been something it's a tradition in in the spring to to have that and it's it's certainly an event that has grown in 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 scope uh over the years i mean for, you started the the website back in 96 97 yeah. and back then it was still a very kind of bland broadcast and i mean they're making the picks and it's radio city it's it's nothing special and now nashville six hundred thousand people lining the streets in in downtown nashville this huge almost like a you know i'm a huge kiss fan it looked like a big kiss stage out there with all the screens and the lights and the effects and, and all that kind of stuff i mean it's just something that that's growing and like you said record rating so people are tuning in to watch this stuff which is for me, a, a, a bittersweet thing, because I love watching the draft. I'm still not a fan of the Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing. I would much prefer to go back to Saturdays and Sundays, and that's just me, though. But, you know, it's it's something that is that's huge, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's endorsing and, and, and uh, you know, popularizing the sport and, and, and bringing something that, that just used to be something that the, the diehards would watch and bringing casual people into it. Yeah, no question, and I I just absolutely love how popular the draft has become, and that others are kind of appreciating what what I've seen in it uh, for so many years, and and I, I think a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, it's ultimately it's the one day of the year that every team in the league has hope. You know, whether you're the yeah. Super Bowl winner or the worst team, uh, this is your chance to turn things around. But then it's also that perfect mix of, of pro and college football, and then you have the, the strategy, the uncertainty, the drama, the speculation, the trades. I mean, it's, it's just all of that that kind of uh, go into the soup to make it such a such a huge event. And uh, it, it, like you said, I mean, it's stunning to see that sea of people and the type of television ratings it drew. Um, I mean, they talked about during the draft how when they first approached the NFL about televising it, the commissioner said, nobody's going to watch that. Yeah. And then here we are all these years later. Uh, uh, it, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, uh, one other thing. Um... <laughs> something that that makes me laugh every single year is when you know whether it be in the first round usually in in the latter half of the first round but whether it be in the first round especially on like day two and day three when a team comes to the podium and and they make their pick and they autom- while the, the the player's name is being announced they automatically cut to a fan of that team and it is obvious by the look on that person's face they have no idea who the hell that is. And then they're like, yeah, and they have <laughs> like that always makes me laugh. They have no idea who that person is. And yet they're cheering like they just got, you know, Kyler Murray off the board. I always laugh when I see that. They're supporting their team, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just something that makes me laugh every year. It's like you see it 
all the time. They have this camera in this poor fan's face, and they probably maybe even freak out just out of the pressure that they oh, sure. know that they have a the camera obligation. in their face. Now, now I have to cheer. I don't know who the hell that is, but I'm going to clap anyway. Go Falcons! You know, yay! We drafted somebody. Woohoo! You know, it's just like I have no idea. They're immediately pulling out their phone. Who the hell is this guy? I mean, because the the Falcons drafted a guard in the first round. How do you get excited about a guard in the first round? It's this, you know, especially one that you never really heard of uh, before, and you know, you know immediately that as soon as that Falcons fan was not on camera anymore, they were looking up who the hell is this guy, the guard that we selected, you know, to find out, you know, what is who he is, and was this a good pick, or did I get excited for no reason while I was on camera? Yeah, absolutely. And and back in the day when it was in New York, obviously, the, seeing the Jets and Giants fan, yeah. that was always a classic because uh, they would always have a feeling that they were never neutral on any pick. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember very vividly the Kyle Brady choice. Yes, back in one of the it, classics. Was it ninety eight or two thousand or something like that? 90, that was ninety six. Ninety six. Oh wait, was it ninety six? No, it, it might have been ninety five. It might have been the year before because ninety six was Keyshawn Johnson. But yeah, you're right. They you know what? Kyle That's Brady right. It was because everyone was talking about they should have drafted Warren Sapp and they drafted Kyle Brady instead or something like that. It was. Uh, I think that's what it was. Like they were pissed off. They thought it was going to be Sapp. And they didn't take him. They took a tight end, and then Sap went a couple of picks later to the Buccaneers. And not but, to get uh, too deep, but that was such a surprise that the team picking next was Cleveland, and that was they thought they were taking, getting Kyle Brady, and they hadn't like prepared for any other scenarios, so they literally panicked. It was like the movie Draft Day. They panicked, and they wound up trading the tenth pick and trading all the way to the end of the first round. And the forty nine the forty niners came up and took JJ Stokes. But uh, right. that's the example I always point to when. For those who've seen the movie Draft Day, yeah. about teams panicking in the war room, the, the Jaguars are the team in the movie Draft Day that panics. But obviously that's heightened for, for the movies, but it's true. And that's a perfect example of a team that they just got completely blindsided on Draft Day when Kyle Brady went to the Jets and, and they panicked and dumped out. How did you like the movie Draft Day? Oh, I love it. I mean, I, 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 I mean, obviously it's it's a movie, right? I mean, it's right. entertainment. They heighten everything. So, but and I'm pretty forgiving when it comes to movies, anyways. But I, I think every outlandish thing in it ha- is based on a kernel of truth. Sure. You know, just like I talked about that one example. But every other every other scenario that they do in there, it's just heightened and it's compacted. They're doing it all in a day. Of course, they're not doing re- they're not trading for the number one pick and doing research on all the morning of the draft. You know, that happens in the months before. But sure. you know, if if you're a fan of the draft, you know, just don't take it too seriously. Sit back and enjoy it. And and if nothing else, I mean, it's one of those like if you're a huge fan of the draft and you really know the intricacies, you can just un- it's unintentionally funny. You know, you can just yeah. sit back and laugh at it. It's one of those. Uh, bad good movies. Well, the thing that got me about that movie, while we go off on this little draft-related tangent, was when I saw the movie. Was that I loved the like the last fifteen or twenty minutes when they're on the clock and he's making moves and maneuvering and all that kind of stuff. But all the stuff that led up to it, the 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 thing about like the mom coming into the facility to memorialize the dad on dra- no way that happens on draft day there's just no way that's when i knew like this this is definitely a movie moment because there's no way any family is getting into the building on draft day it's just not going to happen and you know what the movie looks really good too i mean it it's does. really vibrant yeah. with all the colors they shot it live at the actual draft so they got that real atmosphere um so it, it's it definitely the, the positives far away the negatives for yes. me yeah whenever it's on amc or whatever i always no matter so where it watchable. is i i always watch it and you know i always enjoy like i said that last 15 or so minutes 
when they're on the clock and he makes the pick and oh the, you know what Bo Callahan's not coming off the board everybody's freaking out they don't know what to do and you know all that kind of stuff and then he works the board to he comes out better than anyone else uh in that uh in that scenario so yeah I do enjoy that when he starts uh working the war room there yeah and I actually just rewatched it uh the night before the draft here now I uh, <laughs> I, I finished up my final mock draft and I wanted to wind down of so course you did and I enjoyed the heck about it one more time. Do you have it on Blu-ray or DVD or anything like that? Oh, you better believe it. In oh, fact, of course I just, you do. In my office, I've got the poster when that was at the oh, local nice. theater. I asked the uh, the theater owner if I could have the poster, so I got it hanging in my office. <laughs> Costner's overseeing me at all times. So great. All right, so in, in the much-too-early fashion, let's do it anyway. 2020, who are some of the top names? Quarterbacks. Uh, that's going to be the story of next year's draft. Uh, to me, I like Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. Um, I'm a big fan of his, but a lefty. Also, yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, Jake Fromm from Georgia. Yeah. Um, a lot of fans in the league. Justin Herbert from Oregon. I think he's got something to prove a little bit this year, but he's sure. going to be in that early first round mix. So, so that's going to be the story next year. And then also wide receivers. There's going to be some really good receivers, so it'll help make up for uh, this year a little bit. All right. So I like it. Well, Scott, uh, always as always, we enjoy uh, having you back on, and um, we'll 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 look forward to having you on in three hundred and forty eight days before the draft, and uh, you know when uh, we do the, the do the preview to twenty twenty and and see how those those quarterbacks did shape up and and how the rest of the uh, the draft class will shake down as the the big clock on your on the website uh, ticks down ever so slowly to the twenty twenty draft in Las Vegas. It's less than a year away. Tick tock. Will will the, the will the uh, draft taking place in Vegas be enough to get you out there? Or are you still gonna, you know, hide in your man cave and, and watch the watch the draft alone? It might be. I like the idea of going to Vegas, but also too, I gotta admit, watching because I almost went this year and then watching all those people in Nashville. I was like, yeah. uh, I'm kind of glad I'm on, on my in my uh, home base uh, watching the draft like usual. So to be determined, but uh, I'm pretty determined. intrigued by Vegas. All right. Well, we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you next year, and we'll see what your plans are for the 2020 draft. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much, Scott. My pleasure. Scott Wright from DraftCountdown.com. Love having him on the show. We go all the way back to... My Sports Talk Underground Days 2006 or 2007, uh, the first time that myself and Ryan Simmons had him on the show to help us preview uh, a draft. It was 2007. It was the Jamarcus Russell uh, draft and with the Raiders taking him number one overall and just being very, very Raiders about it and, and taking this guy that had bust written all over him. Yes, he could throw a football through a steel wall, but he wouldn't. He really couldn't do much of anything else. That guy was a bona fide disaster. And it was during a time when the number one picks were coming in and making more money than most veterans. Uh, so, you know, Jamarcus Russell was stealing money his his whole time uh, uh, in the NFL. So, I mean, it unfortunately for him, it didn't work out. And that's that is how it, it basically looks that uh, they uh, that he was out there stealing money for a few years. But uh you know, uh, you know, but my, you know, to our credit, myself, Ryan Simmons, not believers in the Jamarcus Russell train, did not have him going number one uh, overall. I don't remember how that draft actually went, but I think we actually had 
Jamarcus Russell going somewhere in like the teens uh, or something, like 12 or 13. I remember we had the Panthers trading up to get him. Like it would be better for him to go to a place like Carolina. Carolina was just in the playoffs last year, uh, you know, or what have you. Uh, they have a you know the veteran leadership around him. It's not a garbage football team like the Raiders were at the time. This would be a much better place for him. Uh, you know, a veteran coach in John Fox. What? A, yeah. Well, whatever. But still, you know, Jake Delhomme seemed to be on his last legs, and and it's you know this would be a good place for Russell to go instead of trying to have to carry the franchise on his back, which he would have to do uh, in Oakland. So that was the first time that we had Scott right on, and here we are. 12 years later um still a friend still coming on the show still awesome at what he does and uh check out his website where the as you heard me talk about during the interview the clock to the 2020 draft is already ticking it's it's down i think 354 55 days whatever uh until the the draft in vegas next year i mean if you thought nashville was a circus what do you think vegas is going to be like uh next year it's going to be bananas i wonder if they're going to do it are they going to pick a casino? Are they going to put it out in, in, an, in an area kind of like they did in, well, with, with any place that they've been? I mean, if they were in the Jerry Dome. Are they going to do something like that, like what they did in, in Dallas, which is they had the draft in the Jerry Dome? Will they have the draft in the new stadium that's opening in 2020 for the Raiders? Or will they pick someplace in Vegas uh, to do it to kind of give you a taste of the the city with uh, the lights and, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes on in Vegas at night uh, and everything. Very interested to see how that unfolds. Unfortunately, we'll have to wait another 12 months uh, before we can see it. But um, nonetheless, I uh, really love having uh, Scott Wright on the show. Looking forward to having him back on. Um, and as I alluded to earlier but never got to finish, you know, um, it kind of led me off on that tangent about what to do during the off season. Maybe kind of have him at the end of the show. Uh, or end of the season next year to talk about, you know, who are the top draft prospects, you know, something like that. Maybe not have him on for an entire uh, hour like we do on these uh, draft preview and review episodes, but uh, maybe have him on for, you know, for a bit. And, you know, when we when final draft positions have been uh, settled upon and, and all that kind of stuff, who are the prospects? Where do you see things now as we, you know, snake our way two and a half months to the to the actual draft in April how do you see it all unfolding at the moment knowing that the combine and free agency and and all that kind of stuff will have a lot to say before the draft finally comes and things can change a lot between now and then so I think that would be interesting to talk to Scott Wright uh, in February just before all the combine and free agency buzz uh, gets started and and where's he at now what's your mock draft look like now and then we'll reconvene in two months just before the draft and see how much has changed and then bring them back after the draft so maybe we'll add an extra episode next year with scott wright to uh to talk to him before the draft season actually kicks off and then see where we go uh from there but uh to call back on that uh if you guys are interested in those off-season episodes that i talked about i'm all about ideas um you know, uh, even though Ryan Simmons and I don't don't do a show together anymore, he's a constant collaborator with me, helping me with ideas. And we've had some really interesting ones, like uh, one idea that he had that I thought was really interesting. But I would I would need a co-host for it. So I either think maybe he could do it. He's not a Bears fan per se. He lives in Chicago. He roots for the Bears, but he's an Indianapolis Colts guy. 
So uh, talk about a team that kicks some ass during draft weekend. That's the one question I didn't get to ask Scott was, you know, who had the best draft, who had a draft he didn't care for, that kind of thing. I forgot to ask that question. But, um, you know, he's a Colts fan. He's been diehard the whole time that I've known him. Uh, And that's kind of how the Colts became my AFC team was when he and I were in college together, the Bears were awful. So obviously they weren't playing in January. Uh, but the Colts were, and Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison doing all, all their things and making the, the playoff games and losing to the Patriots and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, um, but to have him on maybe or have some kind of uh, co-anchor and to do a um, – I've, I've seen it. Uh, there's a, uh, a wrestling podcast that I, I listen to occasionally called Something to Wrestle, and every now and then one of the shows that they do is well, the, they'll play – an old pay-per-view on WWE Network and kind of give a running commentary of it. And and Ryan's idea was to find an old Bears game on YouTube or something and play that game and basically do a running commentary of that game. And it's kind of like a companion piece. You guys listen to the podcast as you watch the game with me and you get my running commentary of the game uh, and so on. Is that does is anyone interested in anything uh like that i think it would be an interesting experiment but if nobody wants to listen to that i'm not going to do it because it's not going to be a short episode to watch an entire football game even if you cut out the commercials you're still talking about a two two and a half hour uh episode of me talking about a football game we all know the result of that happened 30 years ago so uh let me know if you guys would be interested in something like that or an intriguing you know an idea on that on that scale if you will so Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and, and, uh, and close this bad boy up so I can get it released, so I can stop wondering what everybody's going to think of this episode, so I can actually put it out there for you. So, um, you know, if, if my new NFL Network guest uh, comes back to me and gives me a solid date, that is the show that I will be doing between now and the beginning of our opponent previews. As a matter of fact, I got to get to work on those opponent previews and start nailing down some concrete dates uh, with my guests we're going to start with our same place opponents which will be the rams and the saints the saints will come first because out of the two obviously they didn't make it as far as the rams did so we got to go with the saints first then the rams then we'll start with the afc west then the nfc east then our nfc north then our beloved chicago bears and by the time we get through all of that we should be just this close to training camp and the start of the 2019 season so I can't wait to get to work and, and start having some fun and interesting people on and see if uh, my new NFL Network friend will be able to join us in the meantime. So keep your eyes peeled uh, for that. Stay on the Twitter, BTU underscore Larry on, uh, on, uh, excuse me, on Twitter. Uh, join the Facebook group Bears Talk Underground on Facebook. Enter the discussion, ask questions, give me your thoughts on off-the-subject ideas And uh, maybe I'll do that between now and the start of training camp just to kind of spice things up a little bit, keep me busy before things get started. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys go. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. 
Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.